Hey guys, welcome to All Have Another Podcast with Lindsay Hine. I am your host, Lindsay. Thank you so much for being here today. Today you're listening to episode 93 and I'm talking with Allison Baver. Allison is a short track speed skater. She's a bronze medalist, a three-time Olympian, and she holds the American record in the 1500. So fun to talk to someone who is a short track speed skater. I knew essentially nothing about it before this episode, so I loved learning about the sport. Man, it's intense. Allison is also an entrepreneur. She has her MBA, and she is currently in the process of launching her own, her very own, active uh, fashion line. So lots of cool things that she's doing. Very inspiring. I know you're going to enjoy this conversation with Allison. Before we get started talking with Allison, I want to thank a couple sponsors that are helping make this podcast possible. Yep. The first is Action Heat. Action Heat makes the world's best heated clothing. That's right, heated clothing powered by rechargeable batteries. Their clothing provides toasty warmth and comfort for your whole body, including heated jackets, socks, gloves, hats, and even undergarments, including long johns. You can stay warm and cozy all winter. They are powered by a rechargeable battery, low voltage, and it has 12 hours of charge. You guys go over to action-heat.com slash another. Use the coupon code another all caps to save 15% off your order. Great Christmas gift idea, right? All right, guys, our other sponsor for this episode today is Generation You Can. You guys, this is smarter energy and smarter carbs. Try You Can Nutrition for steady, long-lasting energy without sugar. Take advantage of You Can's biggest sale of the year. Save 25% plus free shipping. Use the promo code another all caps through Monday, December 3rd. Now that code is usually good for 15%, but right now through Monday, they are doing their entire site 25% off. Make sure you go ahead and still use the code another so they know that I sent you. That's generationyoucan.com slash another, promo code another all caps. All right guys, if you are loving the show, I would appreciate it if you would leave a rating and review on iTunes. I know I'm constantly asking for that, but it is one of the best ways potential new listeners can find us. And I set this ridiculous, and when I say ridiculous, it really is, goal to hit a 1,000 ratings and reviews uh, by the end of the year. So last week when I set the goal, I was at 381, and this week I'm at 441. So that's a huge jump in a week's time. So I appreciate each and every one of you who are heading over there and doing that. I don't know if I'll reach the 1,000, but I'm sure going to (laughs) try. I want to give a shout out to one of the most recent reviews because they really have been coming in in the last week, and I appreciate it so much. Um, And I read, you guys, I read every single review. I check it more than I should. (laughs) And I want to thank Caitlin Egan. She says, great show. This is my favorite podcast, and Lindsay does a wonderful job hosting it. She attracts interesting guests, some well-known, and some that I'm happy to get to know over the course of the show. She keeps the conversation moving and asks insightful questions. I look forward to this show to get through long runs or a long car ride. Friday is made brighter when the episode downloads to my phone. Thank you so much, Caitlin. I really appreciate everything you said. And you know, I appreciate that you said that I ask insightful questions because the interviewing thing, I'm going to be completely honest here with you guys. I had no idea what I was doing uh, with interviews when I started this show. So um, I hope that over the course of the first 18 months of the show that you guys have seen an an improvement there. I feel more comfortable now and um, I'm constantly learning though. That's just the thing. I'm constantly learning how to do a better job at what I'm doing, and you guys motivate me to do that. So thank you for being cheerleaders and encouraging me, and I hope in return that I can be a good cheerleader to you. 
And speaking of that, you guys, if you uh, want to be a part of this community and a little bit more uh, of a deeper relationship with some of the people in the group that listen, head over to our Facebook page. We have a Facebook page. I'll have another podcast with Lindsay Hine group where we talk about the episodes, but also people sometimes ask for advice or ask to be held accountable. And we also discuss the book of the month that we are reading together. Don't let that scare you though. If you're not a reader, not everybody in the group reads the book. (laughs) Okay, everybody enjoy this conversation with Allison. All right. So everybody, we're talking with Allison Baver, who is a short track speed skater. Welcome to the show, Allison. Hey, everyone. Thanks for having me. So this is hilarious how we got connected. Okay. I don't even know if you know this, but I had my first live show with the podcast uh, in September, which was this big, exciting deal for me. And Fitvine Wine actually, Mm. yeah, they sponsored it. Fabulous. By providing lots and lots of wine that people loved. And um he got a little bit interested in the show and I kind of talked to him about what I do. And, um, he said, I've got a couple of athletes that I know that would be really great for me, for your show. And you are one of them. Oh, that's really nice. Yeah. I, I love fit Vine. That's great. Th- thanks so much. <laughs> yeah. Um, and actually we just had some, uh, I, my husband is a beer drinker, but I came home last night from target and he was drinking the Cabernet, um, the fit Vine. So we really like it. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Me too. So, you have to fill everybody in on speed skating because I have to tell you that I love talking to athletes of all different sports, but we mainly talk to runners on this podcast. So I'm super excited to, to diversify and um, talk to you. So kind of tell everybody your story, how you got started with the, with the speed skating and all that. Yeah, well, you know, this weekend, actually, I was at my tax advisor on Saturday, and he asked me a great question. He said, in the middle of our discussion, he's like, interrupts it, and he goes, so wait a second, like, what was it like going around in circles, like, day in and day out, like, constantly? (laughs) He's like, what was that like for you? And I just started laughing so hard, because he's like, wasn't that boring? Like, didn't you get bored? (laughs) And... (laughs) I just thought that was really cute because nobody's ever asked me that. And, uh, but basically, yeah, I, you know, Olympic short track speed skater competed in the 2002, 2006, 2010 Olympics, won a bronze medal in the Vancouver Olympics in 2010. And I'm going to be announcing my official retirement here in a couple weeks. So it's been quite a journey and I had the opportunity to travel around the world, um, compete on the world stage and and be top three in the world for over a decade. So it was, it was a really cool experience for me to uh, push myself to levels that I never thought were possible. And uh, the biggest experience for me was right before the 2010 Olympics, about a year before, I was competing in Sofia, Bulgaria, and, and was very close to winning the World Cup title. I went to make a pass to win the World Cup title in my best event, the 1500 meter, or my best event that year. And I my teammate, we collided and I fell and broke my right leg and it was a pretty traumatic injury. I broke my right leg and ankle and was able to come back and win a bronze medal in the Vancouver Olympics. So that was, um, it happened a year to the date of the Olympic games and it really changed my life. You know, it, it, it changed not for the, you know, not for the worse, but it definitely gave me a different perspective on many, many, many things that I would have never had perspective on. So 
Um, here I am a few years, you know, later, actually a while later, I guess, seven years later and, uh, just, you know, working hard on developing my active fashion brand we just launched this summer. So going in a completely new direction and transitioning and that's, that's where I'm at. So, so what, how did you, you're from Pennsylvania, right? Mm-hmm. How'd you get started speed skating? Like when were you like, Oh, I could be really good at this and maybe go to the winter Olympics. Yeah, for those of you that are listening that don't know short track speed skating, it's not a collegiate sport. It's a sport that really only started in the the late 80s was the first time it was in the Olympic Games. And we race on a hockey rink, basically, that's 100 by 200, a little bit bigger, 100 meters by 200 meters, a little bit bigger than a hockey rink. And... Uh, by only like 20 meters, I guess. So, um, we, we compete and we race other people and the blades I have on my skates are about 17 inches long and, uh, we only turn to the left. So it's, we, we race and we race on, uh, we go about 35 miles an hour and we wear helmets, gloves, uh, you know, we have cut proof material on underneath our skin suit. So if you fall, the impact of the blade um, doesn't, you know, cut you. I've been cut a bunch of times, though. <laughs> <laughs> sure. And uh, it's pretty, it's it's pretty intense. It's definitely an extreme sport that doesn't get a lot of recognition, um, just because a lot of our events are international. We we do travel and compete, uh, you know, throughout the world. So um you don't see speed skating a lot here but in other countries like Korea it's it's one of their one of their biggest sports so i would be terrified you know there is a fear factor for sure going yeah. into the corners <laughs> that's so but fast 35 miles per hour it's pretty fast when you're generating the speed on your own so we don't have like hills or anything you know gravity involved but we do have momentum and forces that um, do propel you and you try to use those to generate more speed and make passes and makes it a lot of fun. So I just did something really cool a couple weeks ago. I went to the Miller Motorsports racetrack here in Salt Lake City, right outside of Salt Lake. And uh, some of the best motorcycle racing coaches, they have been nudging me to uh, transition into motorcycle racing. <laughs> and Are you serious? Yes, because it's very similar. And they had me, they had me on their bikes going, you know, 140 miles an hour. So, but then again, um, we were wearing some pretty, um, performance, you know, gear as well, but that, that was a lot faster than I was used to going. And, and he said, he's like, so you must be a speed junkie. You know, you mu- he must be, you must love going fast. And I was like, well, yeah, I, I do enjoy going fast, but actually I'm comfortable going fast. That's probably part of the problem. So even going 140 miles an hour, it was like my breath didn't change at all. I was completely comfortable. And when you're that close to, you know, something tragic happening, it's one of those things where you should probably be scared, <laughs> but I, I don't know what it is. I just, I, I don't know. It's, it's probably something that I've conditioned myself, you know, to be fearless about throughout my skating career. So, <laughs> so you're going for it. Are you, I mean, you're really transitioning into to racing motorcycles. Uh, no, oh, that's okay. not something that, <laughs> but you did no, it. Okay. Okay. I see what you're but saying. He's, he's, you know, he's definitely, um, you know, inspiring me to do it. And cause one of the issues with transitioning from doing something at that level and that level of focus, that level, level of dedication, 
uh, just kind of like my tax advisor said, you know, going in circles, you know, that takes a lot of focus and there's nothing that compares to it that I've been able to do in business or in any other sport really. Um, because it is so, um, you know, if your mind slips just a little bit, you're, you could, you could, you know, something really serious could happen. So, you know, when I'm out on my runs or whatever, like, you know, I can focus on my, my running technique and my mind might slip for a little and I'm totally fine. Like other sports, I feel like it's just cause you're, there's not that, uh, high level danger factor involved. So, um, it requires a lot of mental, mental focus. And when I, um, yeah, when I got on the bike, it was like, I was, I was like in my element again, Mm -hmm. but, um, but I was also, um, you would have to make an extreme commitment to that. And yeah, so I don't know. Yeah. It's one of those things that I've been thinking about, uh, maybe doing it uh, recreationally for sure. So how did you figure out that you, I mean, cause I don't know, as a little girl growing up in Indiana, even like that's just, Oh yeah. Back to your question. Yeah. Right, how'd you yeah. figure it out? there was a roller skating rink down the street from my house called skate away. <laughs> and my family, we would go uh, Friday nights, uh, just for fun. But when I was young, about four years old, my parents bought me skates that attached to my sneakers, Fisher price roller skates. And I would skate all around the house. I would do cartwheels on them. I was always trying to, I was, a, I was in gymnastics and, and, and dancing at the time. And I was, so I was trying to do like my gymnastics, you know, moves on my skates. And it was one of those things where I, um, I really, I really was just always in my skates. I have a, I have a picture of me and my brother and sister in the living room of my parents' house where I'm, I have a side ponytail, you know, remember those back in the (laughs) eighties? I actually, I think I brought them back for a little bit this past week. You did? I've, I've, I've been thinking about it here and there. (laughs) So I was sitting on the couch with my skates on and my legs were crossed and I had like a ton of bangle bracelets, those jelly bracelets in uh-huh. my hair and a side pony. And my sister and brother are like, you know, playing Zelda or whatever. But I was just chilling. Like I would just wear them all the time. And then when I started skating at the roller skating rink, I joined the speed skating team and they had a coach that was a world level coach. So that was really inspiring to me, the concept of the world. I was like, wow, like I want to be the best in the world. Mm. And that really drove me to go to those practices every day. And yeah, so when I was about in fourth grade is when I joined the speed skating team. And it was the roller speed skating team. And then the, the sport changed from roller skating to inline skating in the early 90s. But right away, I was like way better on inline skates than I was actually even on the roller quad skates. And I think it was just because my balance was natural. I had a natural talent and gift, um, to have just really good balance. So on one, one, you know, one foot, like one blade, Mm -hmm. that was something that I naturally transitioned to a little bit better than some of the other girls. So I was better at inline skating. And then I had a coach and a friend, his name was Sean Walb. He, I uh, was from the Reading, Pennsylvania area. He was the one who really inspired me to try ice skating. I had never really done ice skating before. I was a junior in high school and cheerleading, captain of my cheerleading team. And we went all around the East Coast to skate because it was very hard to find ice time. We'd have to go really early in the morning. 
it would take hours to get there, like two or three hours we would drive for like one hour of ice time. And he learned the sport, uh, just so I could learn it. And he helped me with the equipment and the blades. And he really mentored me to transition from trying ice skating, not really being good at it and saying, Hey, Allison, you're, you're getting better, like exponentially, like you need to keep doing this. This is a natural talent you have. It was something I didn't really see in myself. And I always feel like you kind of need that person in your life, you know, to, sometimes to say, Hey, you know, like keep going, keep trying. Cause you're, you know, maybe when you're that young, you don't really, you're thinking about like, you know, what you're going to do with your friends that weekend or something. So it was, it was definitely uh, interesting cause I started so late. So when I qualified for my first Olympic team, it was a huge surprise for the sport. Cause I had only moved to train for the Olympics a year and three months before the Salt Lake City Olympic Games. I left Penn State University as a junior to compete uh, and to train for the Olympics, which was, you know, less than two years away. And I broke the American record in the thousand meter and qualified for my first Olympic team. But I had never competed in the sport of short track skating internationally before that. So it was a huge surprise. So it was definitely a natural talent and gift that I had that, um, from then it, that's when kind of my skating career, you know, began my short track speed skating career. And that's when I started traveling the world and competing and winning medals and, you know, breaking a lot of records and yeah. So it's kind of looking back, you know, retire at retirement. It's been, it's bittersweet for sure. Yeah. Now you mentioned that when you guys go around the track, you only lean to your left or whatever. Yes. <laughs> Tell me about how that works with like, um, you know, when you're training and stuff and keeping your body equal and how does, what does that look like? Yeah. You know, that actually really is, is something that differentiates the, the, the better skaters from the others, because we have to constantly be doing core balance exercises off of the ice and, so I'm working on off of the ice in the weight room and all, and all of my off ice training, I am doing things that are balancing both sides and especially my, my core, you know, my, cause when you react and when you're skating, I, I, I'm almost hundred percent sure it's the same thing running, you know, when you slip or when you fall or something like that, the first thing that reacts is your core. Mm. So, um, we have to have a lot of core strength and, uh, that's where a lot of balance comes from. So a lot of skaters, they have low back injuries, back injuries, cause you're in that weird, awkward position mm-hmm. on your hips, your back, they're all in this weird position. But what we would focus on is that balance from, you know, having the core, your core balanced as well as your your back strong as well. So we would always be uh, making sure that because we were on the ice so much and maybe using one muscle more than the next, that when we're off of the ice, we're making sure we're developing that, that balance in the, in, you know, in your biomechanics. So it was something that we were constantly doing and stretching as well. But, you know, you also have to respect that to be great at skating you know, you do have to have those maybe imbalances a little bit. So mm-hmm. there was this, this fine, you know, for, for us, cause we were only going one direction, 
you know, our one hip would like often be tighter than the other hip. And we would, we would want that. We, you wouldn't want it to be any other way. So we were, it was this fine balance of, uh, yeah, keeping your body always in check. So we would do a lot of, we would spend a lot of time, hours and hours and hours in the recovery room every day, just uh, maintaining our bodies like a, you know, machine. You mentioned the 1500 at around 35 miles an hour. How long does it take to finish that? I mean, I could do the math. I uh, know. Let's just be honest. I couldn't do the math. How long does it take? <laughs> Um, well, I, right now I have the American record in the 1500 meter and it was a world record. It, it, I think someone maybe broke it by a 10th of a second or something, but, um, it's the existing American record. It takes about two minutes and 16 seconds. So when you're on the line, I mean, you're getting, you're getting ready to go so fast and it's so short, truly, if it's only two minutes, like such a short period of time. Um, what does that intensity feel like on that start line? Yeah, well, for the 1500 meter, it, it, the beginning of the race is a little bit more, it's a, a little bit more strategic. So um, one of our shortest distances is the 500 meter. It's only 45 seconds. Oh, but wow. even in that, you still feel like you have time, okay. like you have to, re- time really slows down. So when in a 1500 meter, we call it, I call it like an anaerobic threshold endurance kind of time frame where the way that this feels like if you've been in the weight room and you're lifting weights and you're like let's just say doing leg press and your legs are tired now try to like hold the weight um at a 90 degree angle okay for like 30 seconds mm-hmm. and then try to explode and like push the weight as fast as you can and then do that again and do that like six or seven times that's what it feels like to speed skate if you were to skate in that race. So, um, cause there's a lot of, you have to isometrically hold your muscles. You have to react them and you have to do that multiple times. So it's an interval endurance kind of exertion that, um, you have to train and you have to get really good at it. And then you have to be able when you're tired and when you're at a level of fatigue, you have to be able to explode and, and have the same amount or better than you almost have to have an extra gear. So that's what we were training a lot. And that's what made me good at it. Cause my pain threshold is very high for the, <laughs> that endurance. So it made me a little bit better than most people. But, um, I was always training. I'm at the best and at the highest point of my career. I remember being in China and finishing a world cup and performing well and winning. And still I would, I was lifting after the competition was over, I was in the weight room and I would, was working on my acceleration because I was trying to improve my acceleration at fatigue for that next World Cup, which was a week week later. So we were always uh, fine-tuning things. And, yeah, when you're on the starting line, though, you're pretty relaxed. I couldn't even drink coffee when I was an athlete or any type of caffeine because you had to be completely in the zone, in the moment, and your mind and body had to be completely connected. And, and for me, that caffeine, that little bit of extra – I don't know. I didn't, I didn't want that extra uh, nervousness or reaction, um, maybe for my 500 meter, but even that it was like, not really like you had to be really on point and we would be relaxed and you'd have to be so focused on and aware of the other skaters around you. Mm -hmm. So you had to be really, really ready for someone else to react before someone else reacted. So it was all strategy. It's a lot of fun. 
you ever have a chance to try it, I suggest it. It sounds really (laughs) scary to me, to be honest. It is. There is a a huge, like I said, fear factor because when you don't know if someone, when someone else is going to react, you're like waiting, 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 waiting for them. And you have to react before them. There's a fear. Like you're just like that you have to, that's why you have to be so calm and, and so in control of yourself. Otherwise you'll freak out and they'll pass you and then you'll, you'll just be like, what happened? I don't even know. So, and I feel <laughs> it like happens you, so fast. you have to have like, you're probably going to say, no, that's not true. But I'm just thinking, I feel like on some level you would have to have a level of trust for the other athletes that they're not going to be a complete idiot and knock you over or something. <laughs> Yeah, like my teammate did in, yeah. in the race in Bulgaria. Yeah, so. <laughs> like you have to kind of trust, or else you'd be completely running, skating scared. Yeah, and you know, part of the issue with what happened in Bulgaria for me was you get to that level where, yeah, there's a certain level of respect that you have, even if it's another country, even when you're, you know, when you're being competitive. And I learned this. This is like a huge lesson for those that uh, athletes that are listening to this podcast, because if you want to be the best in the world, you have to have your competitors have to respect you. Mm. So, you know, if you're out there, you know, throwing cheap shots or doing whatever, you know, they're not going to respect you. They're probably going to throw one back. Right. So one of the best lessons I learned was if I respect somebody else, they're going to respect me. And that was even in the heat in the lower rounds, you know? So when we got to a final, um, not to say we're not going to be competitive, but you know, I, I know that this person trusts that I'm not going to do anything crazy. I'm, they're not going to do anything crazy to me. And we are kind of, uh, this unspoken communication, if you will, you know, at that level, you know, that, that, um, also it's, it's a respect thing too, country to country. And my Chinese coach taught me a lot about that. She was one of those things. She, she was, uh, a silver medalist in the Olympics and she was really big on being a champion, you know, and, and what that meant was being respected when you go to the starting line and, that was one thing that I, I really took to heart. So, um, some of the other countries though, they're, they, they're brought up a little bit different. Um, Korea is one of them, like they will pass their teammates and kind of take them out and it'll, it's okay. You know, it's one of those things where it's like their, 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 their culture is a little bit different, but, um, China, I was, I was coached, um, with, uh, you know, I was coached more, from a Chinese coach, my coach that helped me win a medal at the Olympics was Korean. And that's where I kind of learned the difference culturally. But um, you still have to kind of stay true to who you are as an athlete when you're out there. And okay, like, um, I realized that my teammate, she probably didn't want to break my leg. She did skate aggressively against me in Bulgaria. But um, and that's not something that I would have done. You know, Mm -hmm. that's not that's not something I would have done against my teammate. And that's just something that, you know, I have to, you know, I don't have to necessarily respect her as an athlete, but I know that we can still be teammates. I can, you know, it wasn't intentional. Like we, we she didn't mean to break my leg. So we can still, um, you know, we actually want to medal together in the ladies relay. So that's where, um, you have to kind of define who you want to be as an athlete and, 
um, yeah, I, I've never really been one to, um, skate overly aggressive toward other athletes. Cause I always wanted that respect back. Was that hard to repair that friendship though? That was something that I literally had to take. It was up, I was, it was up to me to take the high road on that and to be a champion. And I talked to a lot of other athletes and, and, and you know, how to, how do I handle this? Um, one friend of mine, Angela Ruggiero from the ladies hockey team, you know, she was like, Allison, you know, she, we, we talked about that, how to be a champion in these moments, you know, and what, these are the times that really define you. And I said, you know what, she, you know, I have to recognize that although she's, you know, she, she was, um, you know, she made a split second decision and that was something that, you know, like I said, intent, I don't think she intentionally meant to break my leg. She apologized and it was okay. Like, let's put this behind us and focus on winning a medal at the games because we, we need to be a team. And I know for a fact that if, if the stars aren't aligned, you know, that's going to be really complicated. So we had to completely push that aside in a very short amount of time. Uh, emotionally, it was something that it was like a light switch for me. It was like, okay, you know, you said, sorry, that's cool. Let's win a medal now. Okay. And let's get to work. So it was one of those things where you just had to really take the high road, you know, and you have to do that. That's a lesson that I've taken over into life, you know, with many things. So, and confidence too, because confidence was a huge thing at that, you know, when you're competing and going that speed, you have to be super confident, like more confident than you would ever normally have to be in any given situation. But because I was, my ankle was swollen, it could barely fit in my skate and it was painful and I was competing and I had to skate extremely fast. I had to have a level of confidence that was, I had to kind of fake it, you know, fake it till you make it. Yeah. <laughs> you always hear people say that, but um, I had to like fake confidence and that confidence before was something that I almost took for granted because I was at that level. I was, like I said, the top three in the world. So when I went to the starting line, people expected me to beat them. And that's where now I'm injured and they're like, Ooh, maybe I can beat her. Yeah. You know? So I had to make sure that I exuberated that level of confidence and I, and they could feel that. And, and it was like, look, I'm not injured, like, or, you know, at least let them feel that. So that's what helped me qualify for the Olympic trial, you know, for the Olympic games that year, um, that, you know, going to practice every day with girls that I'm going to have to race at the Olympic trials to let them know that, look, I've, I'm already on the Olympic team. We're already on the podium at the Olympics and the relay. Like those are things that I think really, and you have to believe that to the core. You have to own that. And not every situation allows you to do that, but it was a huge, huge lesson and learning experience for me. Cause I'd, I'd been injured before, you know, in throughout your athletic career, of course, you know, you have injuries, but this was because we were up against the clock. It was such an intense time that, you know, we were, it, it was, it was insane. Absolutely insane. <laughs> Did you work with like a sports psychologist to work on that mental side of things? Um, at that point, no, because I had worked with a sports psychologist for so many years in Olympics up until then, you know, so I almost went within, I, I went within and I was like, okay, what have I learned? How, how can I use every aspect 
of what I've learned as an athlete, every single thing from nutrition to weight training, because we were, the time frame was so tight. It was like, how can I pull everything that I've learned and pour my heart and all my knowledge into this year? I only had one year um, until the Olympics, our Olympic trials. My, I broke my leg in February, shattered it. It was a spiral fracture into my ankle joint. And it was February 8th, 2009. Olympic trials were in September. They moved them up. So like our Olympic trials this year in December in a few weeks, but it was even earlier. So I had to be ready in like months. And that was insane because I had to be non-weight bearing for three of those months. I had to be in a, in a cast and everything. So not literally put a toe on the ground for three months. And, and typically the, the cast and stuff, you would have to be in one for six. But um, we really pushed the limit. And we had to um, – I, I used a lot of the sports psychology techniques I actually used out of a book called Waking Trauma. Healing – wait, wait what, let me see. What is it? Waking the Tiger, Healing Trauma. Okay. That was the one I, I – I, uh, I, from my understanding, the author has passed away, but it's about post-traumatic stress disorder and society and how we use our uh, subconscious mind and how we react to things based on memory and how if we're, over a, if we're able to break those patterns and overcome those mental pictures we have in our brain, then that's when, you know that post trauma that you know that trauma that you've experienced doesn't affect you in your you know in those moments so what i worked on is i watched my race of me crashing over and over and over and over to the point where i was able cuz when i originally crashed when i went to get up i like couldn't feel my leg you know i couldn't feel my skate i tried to get up and it when you watch the video um, if you go to Allison Baver crash on YouTube, it looks like I don't even try to get up barely, but in my brain and in my, you know, my body knows what just happened. And I try to put my skate on the ice and it's like, it's not even there. So in my meditation and in my watching this video, I had to get up, solidly plant my skate on the ice and finish the race. If you finish a race in my sport, they call they can they restart the race and you're brought back to the starting line and in my visualization i came back and won that race and i was not injured so i had to um you know kind of work through that it took months for me to get to that point in my meditation where i was actually able to feel my leg again on the ice and and put my blade down so that was something that took a lot a lot of uh a lot, a lot of visualization and then also getting back on the ice and not being afraid to fall going top speed again. Not because oftentimes when you have such a, a traumatic injury like that, you're, you're a little hesitant to go fast again. And I knew that from previous injuries. So I was like, you know what? I know that I'm going to have to go balls to the wall here and not even think about not have any fears whatsoever. Like I have to definitely be willing and able to, you know, just like I said, subconsciously, it'll not even realizing it. You could be focused on something totally different and your body will just, you know, hesitate a little bit and you don't really understand why. 
So I had to really dig deep in that, in that visualization and make sure that I had every single step. I had zero fear. So that's what I worked on a lot in my visualization. I mean, I'm thinking about in seventh grade when I got hit in the face with a softball and slow really fast pitch softball. And I would never, I never played, uh, I never played softball the same because I was scared from that hit. And so I'm thinking, I mean, that's just like such a small baby example of like that it's funny that your brain goes back to that, right? I mean, in an injury like that going so fast, like I don't know how I would will myself to get back on the ice and not be scared. And see, that's where honestly, like the book tells you, you should have a practitioner help you with these. Sure, sure. Or you should like hypnotism or something like that. But I didn't have time to deal with that. I was like on my dad's rocking chair for three months. So I had a little bit of time on my hands and I would just watch the video over and over. So you literally do have to take yourself mentally back. And what they claim to do is like, remember the senses and remember everything. And another way to change it is, and what they kind of, they use this a lot in, you know, rape victims, uh, situations like that, where like really traumatic situations and where I had an injury when I first started skating, where someone jumped over top of me. I fell uh, in a 500 meter sprinting and someone jumped over top of me. You're never supposed to leave. Your blades are never supposed to leave the ice. You're supposed, if you crash, you're supposed to try to you know, keep your blades close to the ice. So your legs aren't flailing around. Sure. And, um, this guy jumped over top of me, like his reaction, which is Oof. phenomenal that he could do that. And, but he cut my face Oof. and, and my, the, the blade, uh, it cut down to the bone. I was, Oof. and there was blood, like blood everywhere, everywhere, everywhere. Everyone was coming up to me and they were like th- their facial expressions. They were freaking out and I couldn't see what happened. And Oof. I could just feel the blood on my face and I could see it all over the ice and it was all over my gloves, all over my hands, all over my outfit. And I was um, in shock. And uh, going back, though, in the meditation that I had to do for that, because that ended up affecting me years later. Like, it was something that um, I noticed, like, uh, I, you know, at a certain point in the corner, I would kind of like, something would happen. And I couldn't really understand what that was about. So I um, started uh, mentally like just asking myself, why do I keep doing that at that part of the corner? And it was my, my technique would just kind of slip up a little bit and it actually went back to that crash. And I had to, um, really, uh, mentally overcome that. And, um, instead of it being blood, you know, in my meditation, it changed to something else. Like other than, you know, it was, you know, something other than it was, you have to, um, definitely change the, what happened in your meditation. And it takes a lot of times repetitively going, going through that. So yeah, meditation was something that I used tremendously in my career to heighten my, my reaction time to elevate my connection to the other girls. Um, but it's all about that mind body connection. That's where meditation takes you it really makes you establish a better mind-body connection. So it, it can help your performance in many different things, you know, not just athletic. So, <laughs> All right, you guys, before we continue my conversation with Allison, I want to thank Run Angel for supporting this podcast. 
go back to episode 84 and listen to their founders, David and Ellen Karen, on this podcast. David and Ellen Karen, this is a family-owned business with the help of an extensive team of engineers, app developers, acoustic experts, industry mentors, and security advisors have developed a personal safety wearable for runners, joggers, cyclists, students, overseas travelers, loan workers, and more. It emits a loud 120 decibel high-pitched audible alarm when activated and pairs with smartphone devices over Bluetooth to send out alerts in the event of an emergency. They created this item to be worn on your wrist because that's an easy, accessible place if you need to hit the button in a panic. When I had them on the podcast and learned more about their product, why they put it out, and the passion behind it, it sold me on it even more. You guys, they recently had so much success with it that they sold out, but now they're back in stock. If you guys go to runangel.com, you can check out their product, and right now it looks like they're running a special for 15% off. Hey, also head over to my Instagram page, with this episode that I posted today, Allison's episode, episode 93, we're going to give away a Run Angel and Run Angel scarf. And if you guys want to know more about their product, head over to runangel.com. Thank you, David and Ellen, for supporting this podcast. I also want to thank Zappos. They have fast, very fast, and free shipping. You can order a gift for the holidays, and it will be delivered to whoever's porch you want it to be delivered to the very next day. Free returns, hassle-free and they have over 1,000 trusted brands like Nike, Adidas, Asics, New Balance, Lucy, Lorna Jane. I recently bought a Lucy shirt from them that is so cute. They also have activewear items like socks and underwear and shoes, of course. Oh, and you know another cool thing that's going on over there right now? I developed a half and full marathon training plan that they are highlighting on their site for beginner to intermediate uh, half marathoners and full marathoners. So check that out over there and I'll put links to that in the show notes. Thank you, Run Angel. And thank you Zappos for supporting this podcast. All right, let's continue my conversation with Allison. So you mentioned that you have athletes staying at your house. What's going on with that? Yeah. So right now I have uh, a guy from Finland, his girlfriend, Jerica, she said, Hey, you know, can my can my guy stay at your house for a couple months? <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, I have, um, like while he's training or whatever. Yeah. So I have a decent sized house. Um, and my basement's refinished and I have a couple rooms and I, I live by myself. So now that I'm retired from Olympic sports, it's like, why not help other people? I, I live in a location that's really close, uh, to, uh, the ice rink and stuff. So when, um, my, I bumped into my friend Jeff at Chipotle earlier in the summer and he, uh, was on the team with me and like, what are you doing here? And he, I thought you were in California and he's like, Oh, I'm going to be coaching. And he's like, I'm looking for a place to stay. And he's like, wait, do you still have like, who are you? Like, does anyone live with you? And <laughs> he, he convinced me. And, and after that, it kind of snowballed. So now I have, uh, they're getting ready. I have two athletes and uh, the coach staying with me and it's kind of fun because yeah. I get home and they have like healthy d- meals cooked for me. I'm like, thanks guys. You yeah. know? <laughs> Hello. It's like a little camp. It's like a little camp over there. Yeah. Camp Allison. Yeah. And it's fun too. Cause they're, they're focused though. And they're barely ever here. I re- very rarely see them, but it's, it's a lot of fun. It kind of keeps me motivated to, uh, you know, sometimes get on the ice again, but, the, uh, we, we work out and uh, one of the guys, Shaner, 
he's he always tries to pick my brain. We watch video together, and I've you know I at the last competition, I watched. Uh, I ended up helping him. I used to do my own blades and my own equipment. I used to. We have to sharpen them and we have to bend them. And equipment is ninety percent of our sport. And he was having some equipment problems, and his coach was busy with another athlete. And he's like, "Allison, can you help me?" And I was like, "Oh boy, here, here we go. Like this is this is how you start becoming a coach." Right? Oh sure, I'm like, I'm like, yeah. I'm like, no, I'm not doing this. Okay, <laughs> I did. I helped him, and he performed really well. So. But yeah, the team is getting ready for their Olympic trials. And actually, the men's relay team just broke the world record like a few days ago in the, in the men's relay um, in Shanghai. So oh, cool. um, that's really cool, right? So are you going? The Winter Olympics are coming up in February. Are you going? You know what? I'm actually considering going. However, uh, my fashion brand is in talks with a duty-free, with the duty-free in Korea, to have my product at the Olympic games. So, um, if I go, it's going to be to promote my fashion line and uh, support team USA. But, um, I don't know if there's enough time to make that happen. Um, but we're trying. So, (laughs) okay. So let's go there. You, um, you grew up and your mom, she worked at a wedding shop or something like that, like a bridal store. And you were into fashion from the start. When did you decide to, to launch a actual business with it? Yeah, I decided that um, when I was young, I always wanted to be a fashion designer because I saw my mom doing, she made a lot of the dresses and she made all of my Halloween costumes and Aww. everything. She was just fabulous. And I, I always wanted to, I asked her, you know, why did you never go to college, mom? And she's like, well, actually, I was accepted to a fashion school in California, and I decided to have you instead. (laughs) And I was (laughs) like, oh, now you're making me feel guilty, mom. So I um, decided to start, like, in my brain, I was like, I want to be a fashion designer. We had New York City so close to us in Pennsylvania, and we would often go there. We'd take a bus um, for the day my family and we would just walk up and down fifth Avenue. And the way that I see now that how my mom is with my nephews, she's very like, wow, like, look at that. Like she kind of puts these little like awe inspiring moments in your brain. And what she would do for me at the bridal shop where she was uh, the head seamstress, she would say it was the biggest bridal shop, like in the region. So they had all these big name designer dresses. It was a huge bridal salon and it had a tuxedo shop and a hair salon. And it was like the hot spot. Like there was a lot, it was fun uh, being there when you were little. So I would, I would go there often and hide in the dresses and help my mom pick up the, the pins. You know, she'd have me take a magnet around the whole place. Oh, that's so cute. <laughs> all the pins. But, um, that now, um, when I look back, how that impacted me is she'd say, Oh, here comes one of the brides. Cause they would have these appointments set up and, She's like, now just wait, wait until she puts on the dress. Okay. So I'd watch her and she'd go in and she'd come out like transformed. It was like amazing. She, her confidence, she was so happy. And I just loved seeing that. And even when I was little, my mom, she would also do things like I was a dancer and she would put my makeup on me and she would say, okay, Allison, we're going to, you know, we're going to put your lipstick on you. Once we put the lipstick on, you have to be ready. Are you going to be ready? She's like, I can wait. Do you want me to wait for me to put the lipstick on? Do you want to practice one more time? Oh, that's so <laughs> and, cute. 
that was my, that was like a cue, you know, for me. And I took that into my Olympic skating career where I would put my makeup on and be like my war paint. And, you know, when I was putting that on, it was like, I was getting ready to go to the ice rink. So when I, yeah, yeah, it's go time. So, but what it really inspired me and it showed me how fashion can really transform your life. And she would always inspire me to find fashion really uniquely my own. So in school, I was kind of matchy matchy. I was, I remember the one outfit I, she had me, I wanted this outfit. It was like peach. Okay. Remember, remember we're talking about the eighties. So it was like peach and it was like satin and it had like some like thick lace going on, like at the bottom. And then it had a button up shirt, which was kind of similar. And I wanted to wear it to school. And she's like, mm, you know, Allison, it kind of looks a little bit more like pajamas, right? <laughs> I was like, I'm like, no, but it's not, right? It was actually at this store called Famous Mate, this like really fashiony store for kids back east at the time. And they had like, uh, you remember those leather kind of fr- uh, fringe, fringe purses and stuff? Uh-huh. I had that, like I was literally in third grade and <laughs> I was like the fashionista to the core. And my mom was like, okay, if you want to wear that, go ahead. <laughs> so I remember going to school that day and everyone being like, wow, Allison, like that's an interesting outfit. <laughs> but I, I never really um, cared too much about what other people thought in that respect. And then when I became a, an athlete, what I didn't like about it is how disempowered I felt wearing this masculine, these masculine clothes. Like at the time it was uh, Nike and Under Armour and what Under Armour really w- wasn't on the scene yet when I started, but we didn't even have women's sizes. Oh. It was, it was just like a t-shirt. I don't know if you remember that. Like in the early, uh, my, my first Olympic games, it wasn't like the Lululemon days by any, by any means, it was, you were just, um, it, I mean, black, gray, navy were kind of the popular colors for, for, uh, the active fashion at the time. And if you were an athlete, you know, if you're an athlete, like you were not really, yeah, it was backpacks, duffel bags, not really anything fabulous. So I always struggled with like feeling feminine and being an athlete. And even some of the guys were like, why are you wearing makeup? Like you're getting ready to work out. And I'm like, cause I, I want to wear makeup. It was one of those things where I had to really be true to myself and it was hard for me to find fashion or even the right bag to go to the ice rink in because they didn't really have it in athletics. So I decided to create what I always felt was the deficit for me was the, the backpacks, the gym bags. So I designed a luxury gym bag collection that we're launching next year. Been working on it really hard actually for the last three years. I've been working with multiple different factories, trying to find the perfect factory for this bag. We're, um, trying to also, um, I've experimented with a few different fabrics, you know, what fabric is going to be the best for, the functionality and the bag literally looks like a purse, but it's a gym bag. So it's very feminine and it's a huge change from what I used when I was competing. So hopefully female athletes that are going to be using this, whether it's for cheerleading, dancing, soccer, whatever, uh, they'll be able to feel more empowered. But in the meantime, I launched an active fashion 
uh, line of sports bras and tights for women. Uh, once again, way more feminine, way more sexy. One of our lines is, it actually looks like you're kind of wearing a thong in the back. Like it just kind of uh, accentuates your curves. That was something that I also felt was important to accentuate the woman's body and just really make them feel sexy. So when uh, I see women try on the outfits. I had a couple parties. I threw a few events at uh, one in Philadelphia, a bra bar boutique and another in here in Salt Lake city where I'm currently based at a bra boutique as well. We had a ton of girls try on the gear and that same thing happened to them that happened, you know, to the bride going in and trying the wedding dress. It was once one girl tried it on, she's like, Oh my God, my booty looks so good in this. So the other girl tried it on. We had a woman that was like literally in her seventies by the ones that look like a thong in the back. Oh, and she, she looked, she looked so good. Like her husband was with her and he's <laughs> like, oh, oh yeah, honey. Like you're getting those. Those look great. <laughs> <laughs> that is so awesome. It was, it felt really good. And then I worked hard on the sizing, especially for the sports bras. Cause a lot of women now with breast implants and everything, I, I wanted to make sure it was. Um, it's stretched enough, but compressed enough. And so the fabric we chose, and I say we, it's me in the factory. We worked hard. It's like, this is exactly what I want. And this is what I need. And I know this because I'm an, I was, you know, an athlete for years. So it can't be anything different than that. And from the thickness of it to how much it stretches, like I said, and the amount of compression and it feels very luxurious. So I, um, I had my product at an event uh, last week called StyleCon, and the women were like, oh my gosh, like you cannot tell how nice this is from a picture online. Like you have to figure out a way to, to um, showcase that, you know, it's really something that I worked really hard on. So I'm really excited when women, uh, you know, give me good feedback about it. When they can touch it and feel it in person and actually yes, see and it. try it on yeah. and and yeah, and especially at the bra boutiques because you know they're the ones that were like we are so impressed by the sizing and the fact that it is you know y- we can tell you know this is this is impressive, Allison, and it was like yes, like the eight months of sizing going back and forth, the factory I'm sure was like. I was driving them crazy, <laughs> you know, Sure, um, they're probably like, this chick doesn't know what she's talking about. And I'm like, no, really like, trust me. Cause especially the factory that I'm using, um, they're more used to European sizes, mm. you know, so which are smaller and they're like, we really don't suggest going up two centimeters. And I'm like, no, we're going up two centimeters guys. Like this has to happen. So I got a little bit of, of kickback. So when I see that, uh, what I know to be true. That's where for me as an athlete, it's like, I know I don't have a fashion design school experience, but I have that hands-on real life experience because of what my mom taught, you know, I think merging what my mom taught me, um, with pattern making and seeing her do all that to, you know, to my merging that with what I learned as an athlete that, I was also like, when I was competing, I was also on, uh, Nike was a sponsor of mine and we worked really hard on our skin suits for the Olympics. So I was part of their product development team for that. And then also for the Olympic games, uh, part of their, you know, their ceremony, you know, I got to see 
kind of colorways and, and how, um, that all kind of worked together. And then after I retired or not retired, but after, I'm sorry, like I decided to commit myself to doing this line of clothes, I was still skating while I was working on developing this line and a PR firm I was working at at the time, they put me in touch with a lot of fabulous people in New York. Cause I had to learn the industry and really dive in head first. I felt like just in anything, if you don't learn 120% every aspect of it, like how are you going to succeed? Right. So I wanted to learn everything. And Tommy Hilfiger, he took me down his team, uh, to their storyboard, like where they make all their storyboards for their lines. And I got to see how big brands like his bring something to life. So I really had an opportunity to meet a lot of great people and learn, learn from the best. Um, another guy, Anthony Caputo, who, who makes fabulous things for, uh, Saxon fifth and more in the men's department. He taught me a lot about how to, how to merchandise and put things together. So I had to learn like every aspect and component of design, although I had never really gone to design school. So I got to see how those storyboards were put together and how they brought something to life. And that's why my favorite movie is Devil, you know, The Devil Wears Prada. <laughs> oh, totally. So y- you were connected to these people through your connections with Nike. Is that, how- I mean, because like, I mean, that's kind of a big deal that you got to go to Tommy Hilfiger's offices and, and look at their boards. I actually met Tommy Hilfiger th- at Austin South by Southwest. I met his oh. brother. An- I-, I met his brother Andy at uh, an event called Rock the Vote. So I went to Austin. My PR firm that I was working with, my publicist, she had me appear at a few events there, and we just happened to be sitting next to a guy named Luke Watson, who who was uh, was working on Andy Hilfiger's line, which was more rock inspired, which is awesome. So we connected and they have a company that they were launching, um, that did, uh, JLo and Mark Anthony's line for Kohl's and they were kind of branching out into licensing and doing deals with people. And at the time I was in the final casting to replace Jillian Michaels as a trainer on the biggest loser. So they were like, Oh wow. Like let's get together. So I met in New York with them a few times at their offices, um, at Trump tower. And, and they got to show me, you know, they showed me their, a lot of different things and, you know, it was pretty fun. So I got to, to see that. But then after that, you know, we, we've maintained a great relationship and, uh, you know, I've appeared and been, I guess, a, a few of their events and stuff like that. You do have your MBA. I do. Yeah. Yeah. So that's impressive, first of all. But second of all, have you used that? And, and did you learn a lot um, in school and did, to apply to what you're doing now with this? Oh, for sure. But more so in terms of the thought process, you know, one of the biggest things I took away from Penn State, I went to Penn State for my undergrad and then NYIT for my master's degree. I, Penn State really taught you how to think like a business person and more so on you know, we did a lot of case studies, a lot of creative. I, I went to school for marketing and management. So they were teaching me how to think like a marketer and how to be creative. And that's where I think I've been able to carry that thought process into my career as an athlete, but also definitely on the management side, a lot of the things that I learned and, you know, there's little things like, you know, these little things that you remember 
that definitely carry over. Um, a question I had though is I love, well, first of all, I want to say this. I want that gym bag. And when I was researching this interview, I was like, where's the gym bag? I want to see the gym bag. But you just mentioned it's <laughs> launching next year. Right. Yeah, yes. Yeah. And part of, part of that issue is because uh, I am changing factories and um, it's taken, it's pushed us back like six months. Mm. So okay. it's just, I, I had wanted it to be out for this holiday. And, you know, unfortunately, I, 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 I'm not going to launch a product unless I'm 120% confident in the factory. And um, when I met with the factory, you know, I just didn't get a good vibe from the factory manager that his passion was really in it. Like I really wanted him to be mm. or like the activewear brand. And I already placed the order, by the way, I already gave him a ton of money. Oh, wow. And I was like, you know what, you know, like I said, like I, I know to, 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 to succeed at a certain level. Like I said, all of the stars have to be aligned. And there was just this little feeling I had. And when you're going into a partnership with, you know, and trusting a factory with a lot of money, you're just like, yeah, no, not good enough. So did, so, you, have, did you lose that money? No, luckily oh, they were, yeah, luckily they gave it back. It took me a little bit of fighting because oh, they okay. really tried. Yeah. <laughs> so it was one of those things though, where, um, yeah, I mean, it was, it was, I, I didn't feel comfortable. That's and hard though, because once you like write the check and you're like, okay, this is moving, we're doing it, we're going to be oh, out I, launched. I flew, so I hard. Flew, I, I flew to their country to watch the start of the production. Yeah. Oh. You know, because I wanted to be there for the start of the production. That's the most important part to make sure that there's, you know, when they start producing all of these bags, that there's not one thing wrong. And now, you know, you lose your investment. I wanted to, you know, make sure that I was there and overseeing the start. And that's when I just got the vibe that this guy's heart wasn't in my product. And because I had worked with the activewear factory, Adidas certified factory, I, they were passionate. I could feel that they, at least they were treating me like that. And that is like, I need to feel like that with the, the with the handbag factory. This is important to me. This is I've, I'm putting a lot of money and passion and time and everything into this. And you know what? It's a business decision. And it's just like every other business decision you make. You know, if you were scoping out, you know, certain things and people to work with or even contractors to do work on your home, you know what I mean? Like these things are important. So yeah, it's a big decision. And um, I think I made a great one because now we found a better factory. So, <laughs> okay. So I love talking to entrepreneurs. I'm an entrepreneur myself with this podcast, but what is your, I mean, and I love to see people dreaming big, like what's your dream big with this line? Uh, obviously to be an international, you know, an international brand and to be a true active fashion brand, that's definitely my goal. So I know that we're, you know, starting small, but I have a, a vision to, to have my product and, you know, throughout the world. So you are on your way. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> okay, so we always end the show with some some fun questions. What's I mean, and you're obviously like living out your dream with this fashion thing, and and you did the speed skating. But what's one thing professionally or personally that you haven't done that you'd like to do? Well, you know, creatively, I'm I'm just a creative person, and I would definitely love to do more in the entertainment space. That's something that I haven't had the time to really dedicate to, but. And I might be doing things backwards, but when it comes to 
my love for being, you know, I was with Wilhelmina Models New York for uh, my Olympic career, and I'd really like to take that aspect of me, the on-camera stuff, and do a little bit more and kind of explore where I can go with that, whether it be from a business perspective in entertainment or as talent, I don't really know, but it's definitely something that I'd love to put a lot more passion behind uh, going forward in the future. And, and you know, family is important to me, too. I've put family on the back burner for my entire life. Sure. <laughs> uh, so obviously, as a female, you just get to a point where you're like, OK, you know, you're, you're starting to, you know, think ahead a little bit. So I'd love to, you know, start building a you know, building those things with somebody. Yeah. Are you single? The right, per- the right person. I am single right now. Yeah. Do you do any of the dating apps? No, gosh, no. <laughs> <laughs> I can't do that. Yeah. Well, I have a lot. I'm, I've been married for like a really long time now, but I know I have tons of friends who use them like Bumble. I think that I talked to somebody on this podcast, Naomi Peskovitz, and she was all about Bumble because you as the female get to be the one that, um, that initiates. So like random creeper guys can't be the initiators. Well, yeah, but I can't do that because what happens is people go to Google and then they end uh, up date, they, they end up dating you for the wrong reason yes. or That's you annoying. know what I'm saying? Yeah, it's not cool. I can't do that. Yeah. I've never I've never tried it and I don't really want to. But want I've to. heard it's kind of fun. The guys that I live with do. They they, they go on Tinder. Oh, Tinder, word. sure. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um okay, so what's the best most recent book you've read? I honestly don't have time to read as much as I'd like, but I do have, um, a book on my nightstand called never eat alone. Okay. And I, 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 I was at another company and I was meeting with their CEO and they had, he had like books and I was like, never eat alone. I'm like, that one seems interesting. He's like, that's a good one. You should take it. <laughs> so he, he literally gave me the book and cause I always eat alone. Like yeah. I'm, I, you know, I'm in a hurry. Like I eat alone all the time. And this is, this is uh, something that I haven't started reading yet, but it's a business leadership book and it's about communicating in relationships. And I thought it was cool. So I picked that up and it's on my nightstand right now. But before that, I think it was 50 shades of gray. Oh, okay. You know what? I couldn't get through <laughs> that ago. book. 50 shades. Really? Yes. I don't know. I'm not like, I'm not a snood or like a prude or anything. I just like, I didn't enjoy it. Like, I was just like, I couldn't read it. And I mean, my mom read it. Like, everybody read really? it. Really? I couldn't read it. <laughs> that's funny. Like, I really couldn't put it down. I finished all three in, like, a week. I feel like that's and, how most people feel about it. Yeah. Yeah, but you have to uh, – I think she wrote the books herself. Mm-hmm. The, the, the writer, you know, the, the, they were self-written. Like, she didn't have experience writing sure. necessarily. So, I don't know. Maybe that's why. But um, it was something that – um, I really thought was an interesting topic. So, well, yeah, I mean, that's kind of what everybody said. Like the writing's not that good, but the story's really like pulls you in and keeps you going. Yes, totally. Um, okay. So if you could have coffee or cocktail with anybody fun or interesting or just someone you could pick their brain about anything, who would it be? Oprah Winfrey. Oh, do you listen to her podcast? No, I don't actually. Oh, it's so good. It's uh, called Super Soul, and she talks to different like people about spirituality and things like that of all different religions. Does she really spirituality? That's interesting. It's so good. I mean, it's, what? It's Oprah, so like obviously it's going to be like quality and good. But um, I was binge listening. You know, I listen when I'm like working out or 
Um, really? <laughs> oh yeah, I listen to podcasts all the time when I work out, or when I'm like, <laughs> of course um, you do. yeah, um, or when I'm driving in the car, or just like folding laundry, doing dishes, whatever. It's always multitasking. But um, I was super hardcore on hers for a while. Then I took a little bit of break, and now I I just jump back in, and I'm like, oh yeah, that's why I liked it. It's so good. Oh well, you know, I just think she's just awesome. You know, when it comes to, uh, she's definitely one of the most powerful women in the sure. world. You know, yeah. I, it would, and I. Yeah, she's just one of those people that I would love to do business with and work with, and you know, in some way, someday. And I, yeah, I definitely hope to meet her at some point. She's fabulous. Well, and you know what I like about you is that you're saying that, and you're just like owning that. You're like, "Yep, I want to do business with Oprah," and <laughs> yeah, like, right. there's no reason to think that I can't. So that's really that's a really good attitude. Well, she does have a, a network, right? She does. Oprah Winfrey Network. Yeah, she yeah, does. There's. Yeah, I don't know. I'm sure she does a lot of things that we don't really know about. I, that's what I, you that's know, I'm, I'm interested to like know more about what she does, like in, you know, as a businesswoman. Although her, you know, like what I've loved about her is her interviewing skills oh, and yeah. her ability to pull things out of people, like really deep things. Like I, I'm, I'm just really impressed with that. I, for a little bit of time, I did some broadcast media training. And so I watched her a lot. Like she was who I, who I watched when it came to uh, learning how to, you know, learning how to be better as a host. And she's, 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 she's the best. (laughs) Yeah. I was going to say, you can't, you can't learn from anybody better than Oprah herself. Okay, Allison. Well, I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to me and, and sharing your journey and teaching everybody a little bit, a thing or two about uh, speed skating. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. I, I, I don't have the opportunity to really talk about it much. So I really appreciate everybody that's listening. Uh, and you know, your your interest as well having me on the show. Thanks so much. All righty. And have a great day. Enjoy that smoothie that you're making. Th- yeah, <laughs> thank you. Okay, have a good one, everyone. Okay, bye, Allison. All right. Thank you, Allison, for coming on the show and schooling us on all things short track speed skating. So fun learning all that information. I had no idea about any of it. And I'm still amazed by you and how brave you are to do that sport. I know that takes a special person. And thank you for sharing your story about your fashion line. I can see how much passion you have in that. And I, if nothing else in my life, am a cheerleader for other women who are pursuing their dreams and actively going after their goals. So I'm excited for you in this this venture that you're taking on. You guys can follow Allison on Twitter and Instagram if you just go over to Allison Favor. That's her name. It's A-L-L-I-S-O-N-B-A-V-E-R on Instagram and Twitter. You can also find her on Facebook. You guys can find me on Instagram, lindsayhine626. Make sure you're following over there because you'll want to enter to win that run angel today. And that contest will go through this coming Monday, December 3rd at noon Eastern time. You can also find me on Twitter at Lindsay Hine and I've got a Facebook page. I'll have another podcast with Lindsay Hine. If you join our Facebook group, that's a great place to give me recommendations on potential guests you like to hear on the show and just feedback on anything and everything podcast related. It is a super welcoming, happy place to be a part of. Guys, I appreciate you so much. If you are loving the show and looking for more content, you can find more of that over on my Patreon page, patreon.com slash lindsayhine, where I put out one to two bonus episodes a month, usually two. I had two months where we just did one because of everything that was going on with my husband's family. 
but we are back on track with two Patreon episodes a month. One is always with a returning guest, and one is with my husband, Glenn. So the most recent one I dropped just this week, um, it's an hour-long conversation with my husband, Glenn, on all things uh, Monumental Marathon. I just ran my 14th marathon, and he kind of helped train me and run with me, and he ran the whole marathon with me. So uh, we talk about my take on the race and his take on the race, which we may or may not agree with everything that happened in training and the race itself. So it's kind of fun to look back on. And then he answers uh, some fun into the podcast questions as well over there. So that's patreon.com slash Lindsay Hine for bonus content if you support the show. All right, guys, I appreciate each and every one of you. Thank you for being here and being part of this community. You, by listening, by just listening to this show every week, are making my dreams come true because my dream is to be the host of this podcast right now. So thank you for that. All right, enjoy your Friday. Have a great weekend. And as always, I'll see you next Friday.